All right, everybody. So this week, we're going to be releasing an episode from our Patreon vault. Not even all of it, actually. Just a, a little over half, probably. And you can get the full episode of this at our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. So without further ado, here we go. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, Patreones. Hold on to your panties. We're talking about everyone's favorite subject, the evolution of the Wayans murders. No, not Wayans brothers, the Waynes murders. Little Brucey's parents. I'm joined this evening in the virtual realm by Benatavius and Andrew... What was it yesterday? Andrewicus, Andrewicus Supreme. Maximus <laughs> Aurelius. Yeah, I'll, Supreme. I'll go with that too. That's fine. It's not his birthday anymore. <laughs> so he's, he's back down to Andrew Andrewicus Minimus. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. When Zach introduces, it's Andrewicus let's, Minimus. Let's, let's jump in. Yes, indeed. So uh, this, is, this is a scene. This is a murder scene that we have not seen enough of, huh? The murder of the Waynes. Oh, man. We've only seen it in every other interpretation since 1989. Uh, or have we seen it more than Uncle Ben? I think we have, right? Because so, it would yeah. be Uncle Ben in two Spider-Man franchises, not three. Because live action, because they haven't shown it in the MCU. And then well, that's true. a couple cartoons. But that's about it. Unless it was in the hmm. live action Spider-Man, but I haven't seen that. Every night in my dreams... Nightmares. <laughs> the Waynes die. Yes. <laughs> I think Uncle Ben is like the second most popular death in comics that I feel like has been brought to the I screen like, more than like the other. I feel like Krypton, I feel like it's Krypton being the second. Oh, you're right. Yeah, possibly. That's a lot of people dying. That's a whole planet. Yeah, but at least Jor-El and Lara. So Spider-Man's got the parent dying kind of thing, but he's then the re- like Batman, but then he's a reporter like like Superman. It's mm-hmm. all coming together now. Yeah. Yeah. Some people say Spider-Man's mm. kind of like if Jimmy Olsen were a superhero. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah that's, that's Stan that, Lee you know? cracking the code right there, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yep. But we're not here to talk about Spider-Man, even though today nah. may or may not, as of this recording, be the day that we see a No Way Home, or, yeah, No Way Home trailer. But <laughs> let's talk about the Wayne murders. So we have a lot of deleted scenes deleted info from the episode where I talked about the Wayne killers because that was a massive episode based off an article I wrote a long time ago for Batman Online and I originally was just going to do that as the episode but then it just seemed like a little unwieldy because certain things chronologically kind of don't necessarily fit well if you tell it as a story so like Joe Chill's evolution kind of stops in the Silver Age but then he kind of randomly comes back in the mid 80s when you're talking about how everyone's trying to make Joker the killer of Bruce Wayne's parents. Uh, so it just seemed like a little yeah. bit of like randomness here and there. Um, so I thought it was better to structure the main episode with stuff about specifically the killers mm-hmm. and then leave it to the Patreon to talk about some of the stuff that didn't make it into that episode. So one of those things is the movie 
that they went to go see in the first origin it said that the waynes went to go to the movie theater but does not specify what movie it was uh there was even a comment on our popular episode the batman script from 1982 where the guy was just like you know bob kane and bill finger always had zorro as the movie and i was like no they didn't <laughs> people love like the connecting zorro to batman i mean it's part of it but they think it's the only thing yeah i guess that's another idea for uh, an episode or video essay yeah i you guess know? so that, that would be a good one yeah there's definitely connections like the grandfather clock yeah into the cave that's probably the biggest mm-hmm. one i would say but yeah so the first instance i found of some mention of a movie was in 1981 story Detective Comics 500 called To Kill a Legend. Story by Alan Brennert, art by Dick Giorgano, uh, letters by John Costanza, and colors by Adrian Roy. And this is a story that... I'm curious if you've read this one, Zach, because it's probably in a lot of these different collections that are out there. It's the title sounds the familiar. Where Bruce... Yeah, Bruce gets the opportunity to go to an alternate universe where the Wayne murders have, have not happened hmm. yet. Maybe I have... <laughs> Maybe I haven't read that one then. The title sounded familiar. I'm surprised they... Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't do a Brave and the Bold episode on this. Because it it just lends itself to that. But maybe they thought, uh, it might feel too much like a sequel to Chill of the Night. And we don't want to seem like we're trying to retouch that again. Because it's just kind of... Chill of the Night is such a classic episode of Brave and the Bold. They probably didn't want to seem like they were going to just follow up on that. They were kind of just going to leave it to its own thing. But anyway... Uh, to Kill a Legend does start off with, lo and behold, yet another flashback of the Waynes, but they specifically say they went to see a hey. Marlon Brando film. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Krypton. Krypton. see my movie and then get killed in Crime Alley. They don't say what movie it was, though. No, they just yeah. talk about Marlon Brando before Joe Chill shows up. Okay. But that was the first instance I could find of a specific movie being mentioned. Maybe somebody in the Patreon has found an even earlier instance, but that's the earliest I could find of uh, my memory and what comics I have. Uh, The next instance is Tom Mankiewicz's script, as I mentioned in the main episode, where it was Audrey Hepburn's The Nun's Story, which is probably (laughs) the least (laughs) likely one that we'll consider in our canon for Mm -hmm. that, just because it just seems irrelevant to uh, what Bruce was going through. Uh, in 1985, we got the animated show, The Superpowers Team, The Galactic Guardians, as I've talked about before. Oh, it was yeah. the very first Everyone's favorite of the Wayne murders. Yes. Galactic Guardians, man. It just it seems <laughs> kind of off-brand. Yes. Also. They, I think they renamed them that because that's when they specifically started fighting Darkseid. Okay. Even though it should have just been the Justice League versus Darkseid, but whatever. They were experimenting at that time. I guess but, so, yeah. See what mm-hmm. sticks. Yeah, but it was the first adaptation of The Wayne Murders in an episode called The Fear, written by Alan Burnett, who was going to be the future, you know, one of the future masterminds of BTAS. That's right. Adam West. Yeah, Adam West was appropriately enough Batman in this to recount the origin where he encounters Scarecrow in a scene that has been dubbed over and memed a lot, where Scarecrow makes him relive his fear of Crime Alley uh, on a rain-soaked night. And then Robin finally finds Batman, who is just like, in tears and grief stricken <laughs> with with rain covering him but that's what uh, right. the memes have tackled all that all those images but anyway he recounts his origin to dick grayson and wonder woman and in this version the waynes walk out of a showing of robin hood okay not Zorro interesting at this yeah. point so that was interesting i i would say obviously green arrow has more connections to robin hood than batman i guess they're still kind of one because you're talking about crusader who's not like really following the law but 
not as many connections as, you know, Zoro or, you know, the shadow and stuff. So uh, that's the next one. Uh, in 1986, there is a retelling of the Golden Age version of Batman's origin in 1930, from 1939. Uh, the Secret Origins number six is supposed to be the Earth 2 Batman. Um, written by Roy Thomas, who wrote a lot of these Earth 2 Justice Society of America comics. Art by Marshall Rogers, our old friend Marshall Rogers, who did Strange Operations. <laughs> yep. Marshall Rogers sounds like he has a country album. <laughs> Come listen to Marshall Rogers. Come listen to Marshall I think Rogers, about, boy. Sounds like some kind of 60s sci-fi to me, but I think I'm thinking of Duck Dodgers in the 24th oh, and a half Buck. century. <laughs> that's the Looney, Looney Tunes making fun of Buck Rogers, right? Yeah. It's, Buck Rogers, that's it. I love Duck Dodgers too, though. There was, yeah, there was even a game based on just Duck Dodgers, not even Daffy Duck. But uh, yeah, I had yeah. no idea. Yep, 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 yep. They're spoofing on a lot of the stuff at the time, but ended up being more famous than the stuff they were spoofing. <laughs> That's kind of what it ended up being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's see, inks were also by Terry Austin, who also did Strange Apparitions. So anyway, in this version, uh, keep in mind, 1939 is when Batman debuts. So the movie that they had to see would have to be a silent movie. So they say it's a Rudolph Valentino movie they went to see. Yeah, so talkies aren't even out yet when Batman appears. Yeah, that's true. Uh, At least when Bruce's parents take him to the movies in 1939 for that to have happened, you know, the many years that happened before he debuts as Batman, they would have had to have seen a silent movie. Okay. What if they went to go see The Man Who Laughs? Ooh, that would that, that would be, be on brand. Fuck. I just looked real quick. 1927, The Jazz Singer is the first feature-length movie with synchronized dialogue, but mm-hmm. I'm sure that took a while to really take over, though. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. So there would have been, yeah, there would have been talkies, of course, during the time that Batman shows up. However, in the first panel uh, of the Batman origin, as we talked about from uh, Detective Comics number 33. Uh, it said it took place 15 years ago. So okay. 15 years from 1939 oh, yeah, would be that's 1924. Right. That's so 1924, right. would, it would definitely be a silent movie. God damn, I, I, I forgot about that aspect of it. Yeah, that yeah. It's he, they're seeing a fucking silent film. That's crazy, mm-hmm. man. It would be. It would be cool uh, if it was Nosferatu. You know, like a bat-related film. Yeah. yeah. I think, Zach, your ideas were better than what everyone else was saying in the movies. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> With the exception of Zoro, where I'm just like, okay, I can kind of see that. Zoro makes yeah, sense. Zoro's good. Yeah. Zoro makes sense. Zoro's good, but I'm just like, the man who laughs, I'm just like, oh, can you imagine just that connection to the Joker in a different yeah. way from the usual connection that they've done right. with the Joker? Yeah. That'd, be, that'd be amazing. Nosferatu, even, you know, with the bats. Uh, so, any of those, either of those silent classics. But... That's not what they went with. Instead, it is up to 1986's The Dark Knight Returns. Frank Miller, from Frank Miller himself, Klaus Janssen, and Lynn Varley on the art, as well as letters by John Costanza. And this is the first time that portrays the Waynes as walking out of the Mark of Zorro, and they specifically say it is Tyrone Power's Mark of Zorro. Tyrone Power was the main star in the 1940 version of Mark of Zorro. Mm -hmm. If we think about it timeline-wise, this makes a lot of sense. They if we put the Wayne murders around 1940 and Bruce is around 10 years old, then Bruce would be in his mid fifties by the time we get to the eighties in the continuity of the dark Knight returns. Yeah. So this does make sense. However, uh, there is something 
to talk about where the grandfather clock that leads into the cave is something that comes from the 1920 version of the Mark of Zorro. And it's okay. possible that in another version, Bruce saw the 1920 silent movie uh, version of the Mark of Zorro and saw the grandfather clock that opens up and leads into the secret entrance of the cave. And that inspires him later on in life to do the grandfather clock himself. So that's another interpretation, another mm-hmm. possibility. Uh, Gotham, the show Gotham actually made it the 1920 version of the Mark of Zorro, oh, not the 1940 version. Um, I don't know if they were aware of what I just pointed out or they just got mixed up on which Mark of Zorro, but either case, uh, it's, even though it's meant to be the Tyrone Power one, I kind of like the idea of it being the 1920s silent one just because of the, the grandfather clock that would then get adopted mm-hmm. into the Batcave later on. So there's that. And things got a little different, though, when we got to Tim Burton's Batman 89. If you see the flashback, that famous flashback of the Wayne murders, there is a poster for a movie called Footlight Frenzy. Now, dark what is <laughs> the what? It's dark. It's serious. Yeah. It's Footlight Frenzy. <laughs> is that the poster that's in the in the flashback scene in the theater? There's a, yes. There's a fake yeah. poster yeah. at that theater. Okay, there's gotcha. a fake poster. But I feel I, like I've seen. I mean, I've definitely seen it, but I yeah yeah the, the image is sort of coming up with my head. Yeah. The thing is, I have some deep dive information on what the hell is Footlight Frenzy. I must know. So it was the name of a 1984 film. It's a real movie? It's a real movie. Oh, shit. It sounds <laughs> like poster, a flash dance to me. But the yeah. poster was made for the movie. poster was made for 89. Okay. So this is weird. So it first started off as a stage play uh, by Diz White. Diz White then turned it into a movie in 1984 and then for whatever reason warner brothers says hey we're making this batman movie we want your permission to use the title of footlight frenzy and we'll create the poster for it to be sort of the film within the film and diz white gave her permission for them to do that okay Um, i wasn't sure about this because when i first you know growing up you remember movie theaters the movie posters you saw weren't necessarily the movies that they were showing. They were like upcoming movies. Yeah, coming features. So, oh, yeah. Coming soon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I wasn't really sure. Did they see Footlight Frenzy or did they just see Zorro like traditional and, and Footlight Frenzy was just what was coming up soon? Another thing that sort of supports this is the idea that you can actually see the Footlight Frenzy poster in modern day. Not just in the flashback in 89, but also in Gotham because in uh, parallel to the Wayne murders... I don't know if you guys had, I'm sure Zach has, has noticed this as well, but the family that yeah. exits um, and tries to find the taxi in the beginning is exiting from the same exact theater that the Waynes exited Whoa, weird. in the flashback. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it was meant to be sort of a, if you know your comics, the Batman Mirror. will think this is Thomas and Martha Wayne, even though he's called Harold. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's not, it's basically unknown whether this theater is actually one that shut down for whatever reason or it's a film that was re-released uh or they just never bothered to change the poster to factor in the time setting i don't know but it is a real film uh, i think the last option is the most realistic probably (laughs) that's what it sounds like to me as well yeah (laughs) they're like whoops or or maybe the theater the theater only shows one movie and that's it (laughs) (laughs) we've been showing foot like frenzy for 20 years that's right nerds won't be talking about this movie for 35 fucking years (laughs) this will just be like a flash in the pan kind of bullshit this guy's like peewee we got mr mom and his motherfucker this is going to be a disaster there are (laughs) pictures of this poster 
that was made for the 89 movie. And the names they put on the poster are Ron House, Diz White, and Alan Shearman, who are all cast members of the 1984 film. Or they're all, not necessarily cast members, but they're all involved in it. It's directed by Ron House. The music is by Diz White, and the costumes are by Alan Shearman. So uh, they're clearly basing it off of real life stuff. However, uh, the showings indicate because uh, they say like hey available at these times like fridays on these these showings and it seems like this might be possibly a stage play and not a movie in mm. which case mm-hmm. that means that the waynes did not leave from a movie theater they left from a basically a theater theater like a yeah. stage play theater uh if ah. we were to go into different interpretations but i just thought this would be the deepest of dives when it comes to the, this one shot that yeah, we saw. Yeah, we're talking the about the poster movie. in this fucking movie. Yeah, it's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. So again, this is what you get when you get your money's worth. Yeah, the, on yeah. The this is the deepest dive yeah, possible. Yeah. Yeah. Footlight. There's one. Footlight there's print. one podcast series. I think they're just doing the original trilogy, but uh, they're going like a minute at a time in the Star there's Wars movies those, yeah. or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, yeah. man. I do I listen to the the Bat Minute. Mm. Oh, that, yeah. There's that two one British does, guys. What, the animated one. No, this one they have it done was... like all the movies. It was Bat Minute, Bat Minute Returns, Bat Minute Forever, and now Bat Minute and Robin. Oh well, shit. Okay, I didn't know they're doing the same thing for Batman. That's interesting. All right. Yes, but do they cover Footlight Frenzy? That's another question. <laughs> no, they have not. Frenzy. So I think it's a first for us. <laughs> this is an exclusive yes. for Patreon people only. Exclusive. <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm looking at this uh, now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's got that that art art deco. Yeah. Once it's again, sort of art deco with German expressionist silent mm-hmm. film type of uh, influence that art. On the poster. It's kind of shit that uh, Burton loves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just don't know why they pick this, you know? They're just like, hey, you don't... Let's create a poster based off of this obscure-ass film slash stage play. Burton... <laughs> like the title for some reason. I know Burton's really got his art direction on point, but he might have had just so much other shit to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, they got to get the Batmobile look right and just everything else, you know, Gotham as a whole. Yeah. This. This one might have just slipped by Burton a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whoever made the decision, it was kind of interesting that they would yeah. pick this of all things is yeah. what I'm saying. So this is very obscure movie or stage yeah, yeah. play. And they picked this one out of all things. So is it just because Maybe the poster naturally already like looked Burton... like this? So it's like, this is Burton's no, they style? Created the poster. They yeah, created they, created, the poster. they created it. Yeah. yeah okay. So uh, I don't know. know. Yeah. Don't or maybe know. they just somebody on the crew just saw the play and they're just like, I don't know. That was the last play I saw. Let's just get that. The poster it says like the musical likely. sensation on it. That too. Yeah. So yeah. so it seems like it's actually they went to the theater, not just the movies, but the theater. The theater. Not that Hamilton. So I feel like if Burton had his way. Yeah. If if Burton had his way, he would have had it like a Phantom of the Opera poster or Dracula or something uh, like that. Yeah, possibly, yeah. possibly. Potentially, yeah. But can you imagine the rights for that? <laughs> At the oh, time, yeah, the exactly. Andrew Lloyd That is true. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy <laughs> rights problems, yeah. Then again, it also would mean that the Waynes were killed in the 80s since that's an 80s musical. So yeah, I guess, I don't know. They need something that sounded like it was an old film. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so. true. Anyway, uh, we get to basically 
many years of the Mark of Zorro, but we have other alternatives. In 2005's The Batman vs. Dracula, yes, that movie, we're covering it again. Uh, in the, <laughs> hey. There's a hallucination where they walk out of a theater from a movie that says The Cloaked Rider, which I guess is them kind of trying to do Zorro without saying it was Zorro. I think that's what um, it is, yeah. I believe Zorro is in public domain, though, so I don't think it's really a rights thing, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they just like to fuck hmm. with it. I don't Maybe know. I am wrong on that. I don't know. I could be wrong on that Zorro thing, actually. Never mind. It might not be public domain. Uh, so that's a possibility that that's why they were avoiding it for all these others. Uh, and then Batman Begins changes it, of course, to the opera Mephistopheles uh, by Boito. Yes. On it, which, um, you know, is also covers the Faust story about making deals with the devil in a way and in a way bruce is kind of making a deal with the demon's head in order to train him yeah. so that he can become a demon himself i don't know if that's how far they thought of it they just wanted an opera that had bats or creatures in it andrew to, that uh, motivate bruce to leave andrew that's what we call those deeper themes <laughs> <laughs> thanks man yeah gotta, i was just thinking like this is up my deeper. alley so, yeah, <laughs> you just gotta use the old noggin uh yeah that yeah it could be that they connected it but i even though i like talking about thematic elements a lot you do have mm-hmm. to also kind of uh give it up to the simplest explanation generally yeah and especially needed something with bats yeah. in it. especially with something like this it's probably all is because the other thing is too it, they don't really harp on you know making a deal with the devil really all that much True. Not the, it's not the yeah. crux of batman begins too much you know yeah you would think nolan would have other lines about this yeah and so you know. if it's if it popped up again maybe but if it's just this mm-hmm. one thing i just it's cool that it's there but i think that's yeah that's largely uh coincidental yeah, yeah i don't think there's a huge faustian theme to it only if you read into it maybe it's subtle it's nice it's cool it's intentional maybe it's a it's a subtle thing. Maybe exactly. they didn't want to ram it down your throat. I don't know. Because uh, his house is, <laughs> is on fire later. Maybe that has something to do with hell. Or, mm, that's uh, true. I don't know. And set on but fire cool. by the devil, by the demon's head. You know. Yeah. But yeah, so that was in Batman Begins. And then, of course, we got them walking out of the theater again in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, where it said the Mark of Zorro, but also Excalibur. Uh, where it's kind of mixed whether they saw the Mark of Zorro or Excalibur, because even Zack Snyder said in the premiere for Justice League that uh, they went to see Excalibur. Uh, and then in Joker, which is set during the same year uh, as the flashback in Batman vs. Superman, uh, that year being 1981, mm-hmm. they are walking out of a theater with posters of Excalibur as well as Zorro the Gay Blade, since <laughs> that was the only 80s Zorro movie they could probably have them watch. Yeah. So it could give, also just be. Give little boys chuckles. <laughs> it the could theater. also just be a theater that shows <laughs> old ass movies, you know? Could be, yeah. That's how I interpreted it later on, where just like, yeah. well, obviously, Bruce's parents were killed in 1940 for him to be operating as a 30 year old in 2020. <laughs> so it's it's probably some old art house thing where the way was it just supposed to be, like, to be that. Show uh... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, just Thomas probably just wanted to give that experience, the theater experience, the old cinema, you know, to Bruce when he was growing up, just for cultural Mm -hmm. reasons, maybe. I mean, was it supposed to be lost in time, too? Yeah, it's very timeless. Yeah, Yeah, that too. In terms of, is it supposed to be the same year? The The funny thing is that it matches up best in The Dark Knight Returns, where it would probably be 1940. Because it's Tyrone Power, and if Bruce is 
Bruce mm-hmm. is clearly in his mid fifties, and it's clearly the eighties because Reagan is a character in this in the story. So yeah, right. It matches up. However, the clothes in the flashback don't look very nineteen forties like to me. Even though it would make sense for it to be the nineteen forties, he, he just doesn't look like he's in the forties in that flashback to me. But it could, I don't know, it could be. Wait, so now I have a question. Is there, it's generally across the board that he's like, what, eight when his parents died? Like how? Sometimes it's eight, sometimes it's 10. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's it's generally about this time period. He's never a teenager. Uh, the oldest he is is like 12. I mean, he's he was kind of a teenager in that story where he became the executioner and teamed up with Superboy. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's because they needed yeah. him to be a teenager in order for it to make sense for him to to put on a costume next to Superboy. Otherwise, it'd be ridiculous if he's eight years old and he's like, I'm the executioner. Superboy's <laughs> like, okay, you know what? <laughs> okay, I got it. What's up, everybody? It's Andrew. Just wanted to announce that I have a new podcast called Gaming Gaiden. It's about retro gaming. It's about video games. It's about, it's a lot about Japanese to English in this first season. Yes, it will be 10 episodes each season. First season will be dropping soon, much sooner than I'm on a recon. The co-host for this one will be Mike Torres. If you saw the ranking, every Superman video game two-parter we did here on Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you have seen Mike before. So yes, if you like video games, if you've been interested in Japanese ever, we're going to be talking a lot about just Japan in general, Japanese cultural differences as well. And we also are going to have a lot of talk about 90s video game magazines such as Electronic Gaming Monthly, a.k.a. EGM. So stay tuned for that. So please be on the lookout for Gaming Gaiden Podcast coming soon. Class is back in session, and HyperX has the grade-A gear you need for dorm life, remote classes, and for schooling folks online. Shop the HyperX back-to-school deals going on now at HyperX.com to help make your return to student life a breeze. Comfortable cloud headsets can keep you focused in as you cram for finals with some lo-fi beats and stay productive with lightweight pulse fire mice, responsive alloy keyboards, and more. Keep your GPA and your KDA high with HyperX products and accessories. Hi, it's me, Jeremy Parrish, co-host of the Retronauts podcast, the only video game history podcast that's been around so long, it's also a part of video game history. Every week, one of the motley rabble who hosts this show leads a deep dive into the past, whether it's to break down a classic franchise, learn more about a timeless game from its creator, or just wallow in nostalgia. Relive history with Retronauts, here on the HyperX Podcast Network. Do you like the TV show Friends? Then check out Watching Friends with me, Mark, and me, Ryan, every week as we go through every episode of this iconic TV show, giving you behind-the-scenes facts, our thoughts on every scene, and some personal stories. Do you know which actor can't remember how many seasons of the show there are? How about the one common household object that could never be seen on the show? We've got the answers and more as we explore Friends in depth every week. Watching Friends, only on the Hyperx Podcast Network. Find inflation the old-fashioned way by spending less money. Check out the Hyperx store at Amazon.com to find great Prime Day deals on July 12th and 13th. Stock up on new gaming gear so you'll be equipped for the new launches and content drops. Mark your calendars and set your alarms. Deals like this won't stick around long. Class is back in session, and HyperX has the grade A gear you need for dorm life, remote classes, and for schooling folks online. Shop the HyperX back-to-school deals going on at HyperX.com to help make your return to student life a breeze. Comfortable cloud headsets can help keep you focused 
in as you cram for finals with some lo-fi beats and stay productive with lightweight pulse fire mics, responsive alloy keyboards, and more. Keep your GPA and your KDA high with HyperX products and accessories. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. It's back to school time. We want to make sure you pack the essentials to have the best gear yet. The Manscaped fourth generation performance package is just that. Be ready for whatever it is in your daily schedule this year. It's the perfect package for your package and includes the brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Fellas, go for the valedictorian of Val trimming and join the six million men worldwide who trust manscaped by going to manscaped.com with the code johnson's ballsack yes that's a real code 100 <laughs> percent real yes so this is apparently the part in the ad read where i tell you about hurting my balls while trimming below the waist the thing is i haven't because i've never hurt my <laughs> balls through it while using manscaped me personally that's not to say that you can't i'm just saying that i have it myself so thanks to manscaped i don't have a story to share on yeah, uh, I one time shaved my sack without <laughs> without Manscaped, and it didn't end up well. Actually, my ro- my roommate had to clean up the mess because I was in college and forgot about it. But anyway, that's a side. That's a, <laughs> I was young I once. You leave with that. I was young once. But yes, you want to keep in the bush. To, to keep it, to keep in your underoos, keep 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 your package in the underoos. All right, you gotta Indeed. have it looking looking good down there. You know what I'm saying? And seem big. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> School is back, and the performance package 4.0 from Manscaped is here to teach the boys a lesson on male hygiene. Inside, you'll find a lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant, <laughs> crop reviver toner plus two free gifts, performance boxer briefs, and the Shed Travel Bag. This package includes the brand new Lawnmower 4.0 and will give you the confidence to do anything you desire, including showing off your dick. <laughs> new year, new you, might screw around and attend Smooth Balls University this fall. Wait, is that a thing? This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic braid Sorry, Blade, to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. It also allows you to shave your pencil down and customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 to 4. As you guys can probably tell, we did not write this. <laughs> we lo- I mean, uh, these are the most fun ads, though, dude. Yeah. Um, all right, so the Lawnmower 4.0 has also has a 7,000 RPM motor and a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. So if you're needing to shave your balls in the dark, they got you in the bat cave, (laughs) always on brand. Uh, Please use the LED spotlight. Mm. And uh, did I mention it's waterproof as well? So if you wanna shave in the dark, underwater in Atlantis, in Atlantis, if your bat cave is also in Atlantis, <laughs> double power. There, you, there you go. I mean, they got you yeah. covered. What can I say? Indeed, yeah. that's what Aquaman Two is about. 
So this package also. Comes... I'm going to say legally, we it's not that, but <laughs> yes, <Okay. laughs> that package... was commentary. <laughs> yes, uh, this package also comes with a weed whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in both your nose and your ear. The weed whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor powered, 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair uh, this nose and ear hair trimmer provide proprietary skin safe technology, which helps prevent nick snags and tugs in those delicate holes. After trimming your pubes and cleaning your holes, show them some love with the Manscaped Liquid Formulations, the Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and Crop Reviver, Ball Toner are here to get you ready for class during the day and ready to party at night. And again, when you party at night, you could at night be shaving your balls just fine because it has a light on it mm -hmm. and also i did have a friend <laughs> speaking of ball deodorant i had a friend one time that's going to remain nameless that did spray cologne on his dick and it hurt it was a bad idea he said so you don't want to do that you need deodorant especially made for your balls Indeed. and that's where they're here for guys Manscaped also threw in two free gifts to the Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. One is a comfy front pack for your balls, and the other is a backpack for your goods. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Johnson's Ballsack. And I'm telling you, it's real. We've yep. had a lot of people talk about this, <laughs> asking, and it's 100% real. Uh, we wouldn't be doing these actual official ads if it wasn't real but so yeah 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code johnson's ball sack at manscaped.com take the last line ben this year graduate with a degree in clean balls from manscaped ben um what i was thinking was in the movie joker was that theater supposed to be the same theater that thomas wayne was in earlier when they were showing the um, am I thinking of the Charlie Chaplin? Uh, Charlie Chaplin films? movie. Uh, I don't think it was because I think the there were like steps, yeah, you know, leading up to the theater that showed the Chaplin one, as opposed to this one, which seems like it was just right on the street. Yeah, it was just like another random theater. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> Thomas is like, I support all the different theaters. <laughs> the same one. He really likes I to watch the gay blade many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sometimes go without Martha. Wink, so wink. let's, since we're on the topic, <laughs> let's talk about why they went to the movies in the first place, or why they Fucking went to the opera. Bruce's dumbass just had to go out that night. <laughs> That's right. If you look at the Batman Forever Red Book thing, he thinks it's Indeed. his fault. Yeah, so there is that aspect where... See, I uh, learned Bruce something reads. from this podcast. <laughs> you remember things. <laughs> a good, a rare guys, like, moment. That's, that's one, that's <laughs> one of the most like significant things that we learned in this coverage of the 90s stuff. <laughs> Let's mark it. blew Andrew's mind. <laughs> it was such a great... Uh, yeah, it's just that the better version of Batman Forever be, you know, is kind of public, really public now. and Yeah. It's just Especially so, so much better. Cut, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. I even got a uh, message today about it, too. It's just like, oh, man, I just listened to this. I went back and listened to this, and uh, it's amazing what this movie could have been. And I was like, yeah, I know, right? So yes. people are still, you know, going back and discovering that episode and, and learning along with us on that. So it's basically, if, if you don't remember, uh, 
basically <laughs> it is who forgets this stuff who forgets this yes <laughs> <laughs> not us <laughs> oh, uh, in batman forever he found uh, one of the things that made him feel guilty about his parents death is finding his father's journal it's the red book the red diary and finding that thomas says bruce insists on seeing a movie tonight and he felt like oh because i insisted on seeing the movie it's my fault my parents were killed and so he used that uh, guilt to sort of drive him to become Batman and then in the events of the original cut of Batman Forever he would look at the journal again and said Bruce insists on seeing a movie tonight but Martha and I have our hearts set on Zorro so Bruce's cartoon will have to wait so now yep. it's less about Bruce insisting on going to the movie and more about Thomas and Martha picking the movie okay. absolving Bruce of the guilt but not so much so that he no longer sees the need of being Batman again and thus he be- chooses to become Batman forever yeah that, so that was, was the that's best right that, that's where the podcast <laughs> yeah the whole crux of the film that line at the end that all like hinges on that so mm-hmm. yeah otherwise uh, yeah, i guess it's true. just a cool line if you just watch the theatrical version <laughs> <laughs> yeah. isn't it also the uh the tagline in the trailers was just like truth now courage always batman forever batman forever <laughs> That fucking rocks. You can't tell me that's not a good tagline. <laughs> but let's go into some of the other versions because it hasn't always just been Bruce wants to go to the movies, that little spoiled piece of shit. Like, this is, there's other <laughs> versions of this. So uh, the first one is actually a comic that has been mentioned before on this podcast by our guest Rob Ailing. Rob said that he grew up mm. with a comic called Fatal Wish. That was Batman issue number 430. Writer Jim Starlin, artist by Jim Aparo, and this takes place right after Jason Todd's death. So Bruce's mindset is pretty dark at this point. Uh, the inker is Mike DiCarlo. Letters, again, John Costanza. Colors, again, by Adrian Roy. They're in all of these. But anyway, there's a flashback where Thomas Wayne is under heavy stress. And at one point, Bruce tries to cheer up his dad and says, you know, Dad, do you want to play catch? And Thomas is annoyed because he wants to focus on his work. Something that, you know, his son will later emulate but Mm -hmm. bruce keeps pushing him to play catch with him and thomas gets so frustrated that he ends up slapping bruce and immediately i remember that story yeah and bruce runs off and cries and thomas feels guilty because he's like what have i done jesus and martha tries to comfort bruce and bruce yells that he doesn't love his daddy anymore and that quote i wish he was dead so man thomas you'll see where this is going uh thomas tries to reconcile with bruce and says hey you know just to make up for what i did why don't we go see a movie? So they go see the movie that you think that they're going to go see, and uh, they end up getting killed. And Bruce has this flashback throughout the adventure in Batman number 430, uh, where there's kind of a parallel between that and what's going on. But at the end of the adventure, it describes Batman's mindset that says, quote, deep within the depths of subconscious, a little boy cries out, I'm sorry, Daddy. I didn't mean it. And that's the end of the issue. It's a great story for like, well, a cautionary tale for taking things for granted, right? I mean, mm-hmm, especially kinda, if you're yeah. younger reading this, it's going to be really mm-hmm. uh, powerful for you. It might be the might be it might have been a lot of kids' first time reading a, a story like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta say, I was like, damn, <laughs> yeah. this is what Rob grew up with. Because I actually did not read that issue until Rob mentioned it. I'm just like, I'm curious which one this is. And then I read it. And then I think I had I think I had heard of this issue, but I didn't realize this was it until I got to that part. And I'm like, oh, okay. But 
That's the earliest I could find where there's almost like a guilty association. Grant Morrison talks Bruce. about like UK comics and some other like the guy that uh, what's his name? The guy that had the famous Punisher run. He uh, Ennis. Yeah, yeah, Ennis. Garth, Garth Ennis. Ennis. Yeah. yeah, he they they talk about how the UK comics they are generally like a lot more uh, gritty than American stuff. Well, this so, is Starlin though writing it. Yeah, but I mean, if Rob Ailing is growing up in that environment uh, where true, he's already, true. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, apparently he loves American comics too, but seems to be kind of in the water that people like the grit, really gritty stuff there. Uh, I had asked Rob what he thought of Batman 89 issue one. And uh, I just thought he would just send me a message being like, I thought it was good. Instead, he sends me like five consecutive voice notes over Instagram oh, with like wow. a full in-depth <laughs> review. And I'm just like, this is amazing. <laughs> Damn, let's let's put that into a podcast. Ask him. <laughs> we should. I'm trying to figure out how <laughs> yeah. to download those audio notes because he, he brought up his reaction to seeing the connection to um, Living in Crime Alley because I knew he was going to catch on to it. I'm like, there's no way he reads that and doesn't yeah, think about his cool. movie. He's lived in that story for so long. Yes. There's no way he's going to just be like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> no, like He's totally going to catch it. And he did. So, so he loves it. Yeah, yeah, he, he loves it. And uh, he I think he just loves the idea that he and Sam Hamm had the same idea. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so, and I was reading, I was like, damn, there it is. Yeah, I know. Rob yeah, is I, tapped I, in. <laughs> I told Rob what you said about that. We're just like, <laughs> does Rob Ailing know the future? <laughs> Got a crystal ball or some <laughs> shit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see if we can get some of the audio uh, on that into, uh, I think next week we can talk about a little, because we haven't really done, I've, obviously did the video but we didn't really talk formally about it on the show so maybe we can save that for next week because we'll also be talking about superman 78 Ooh. yes is that is that this wednesday this coming wednesday as of this recording yeah well it's actually coming out midnight tonight well snap into a yeah. slim jim god damn <laughs> so, anyway bit of a preview for you guys behind the paywall but let's go into the next thing so the next instance i found of the reason why the Waynes go to the theater is from 1990's Legends of the Dark Knight number 9, 1990, by Grant Morrison. Speak of the devil, exact same person that uh, Andrew was talking about. I got the about. crystal ball now, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Art by Klaus Johnson, uh, colored by Steve Buscioletto, and lettered by John Costanza. I partially based my Gotham spec, Gotham a Vampire, on the story called Gothic, where Batman goes up against an immortal monk who was the headmaster of his boarding school who murdered children. This seemed like a darker update of the Mad Monk since he was also mm -hmm. a monk. And uh, the cover to, I think, this issue or maybe one of the other issues has the same composition of Batman's head looking over a castle and the monk in the foreground. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, yeah. I remember this, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's the same one that uh, Dustin did for me. So uh, in this version, Bruce grew up with this headmaster who was murdering children. At one point, he was disciplining Bruce, and Bruce not only saw that the headmaster had no shadow, but he also saw the decapitated head of his childhood friend in a trash bin. Uh, yeah. Damn, this is dark, Grant. <laughs> Jesus. Go back this is to before the... before uh, his parents get killed. Go back like... to the fucking uh, mountains of fucking Nepal again, man. And maybe you can get abducted by the aliens one more time to reset. <laughs> yeah. How could anything the Joker ever did after that level up you know yeah i'm just like the darker it is before his parents get killed the less of an impact i think it 
the the murder actually had. Yeah. I think it should be like this is the happiest kid in the world. He gets to live in such luxury, and then everything, you know, <laughs> like, the people he loves most get taken from him. You don't need to make him <laughs> like already dark. Like when his parents when his parents get killed, he's like, well, at least their heads didn't get cut off. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, not man. as bad as that one time it. yeah <laughs> morrison's just having fun with this shit i guess yeah i think so yeah. so thomas decides to rescue bruce from the school and when they get home thomas says let's celebrate and go watch a movie what so, movie is it they say it doesn't say but it's some uh, occult film or some shit because it's grant morrison it's got <laughs> probably, pentagrams yeah. and alistair crowley it's and all kinds of shit in it Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, that movie. Yeah. Hexen. Yep. <laughs> that shit's on HBO Max, isn't it? I think it is. Yes, it I, is. Yeah, it's wild. It's on there, but yeah. Next one is Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween Special Madness, which is c- collected in uh, Batman Haunted Night. Yeah. Uh, written by Jeff Loeb, art by Tim Sale in uh, from 1993. Letters by Todd Klein, colors by Gregory Wright, and separations by Android Images, but. Bruce, uh, young Bruce, gives the pearl necklace to Martha in Haunted Night, saying mm-hmm. that, uh, hey, we should wear this. And she says, well, it's for, you know, these are for special nights. But Bruce is, Bruce is like, can't we make tonight a special night? And so she decides to wear it. And lo and behold, that's the same night where they go to see the Mark of Zorro and Joe Chill wants the pearls. So <laughs> once oh, again, fucking Bruce. Uh, Bruce is guilt ridden by all this stuff, all these things to make Bruce feel guilty. Uh, I do want to note, however, that Martha Wayne did not always wear a pearl necklace. Yeah, as we noted, I remember this we... note as well. Yeah, because it blew my mind. Because a pearl necklace seems like such a thing from the yeah. '30s. I mm-hmm. thought Bill Finger just thought of this shit. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, Joe Chill does say, "I'll take that necklace you're wearing, lady," in the um, original origin, but they do not specify that it's pearls. That's okay. why. I mean, I hate to give him credit, but Bob Kane's Return of Batman. Uh, treatment pointed out that Martha's necklace in that treatment is a diamond one. And that's uh, when I pointed out in that episode uh, to Andrew that it was not always the pearl necklace. The specific image of the pearls mm-hmm. clattering on the street with the necklace breaking, that's from The Dark Knight Returns and then was carried over by Tim Burton into the 89 movie. That's truly iconic now. Those yeah. those pearls falling on the mm-hmm. alleyway that's the floor. floor. Yeah. You don't even need to show the uh, guns going off or the bodies. You just The pearls snapping and falling to the floor. That's oh, all yeah. you need these days in order to convey that. Haven't they shown, or they said in comics or something that like, as soon as the pearls hit the ground, that's when Bruce Wayne became Batman. Yeah, something like <laughs> Some that. Some shit like that. <laughs> Bruce died that night. Yeah. Three, bo- three people died. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, all right. So, so we talked dramatic, about Batman Bruce. Forever. I know, and I'm not sure if I have the same interpretation of that, honestly. Like, a lot of people are just like, Bruce Wayne's the mask. Batman is who he's been since his parents died. I'm just like... Yeah, but I don't think that's psychologically how it works. <laughs> like, yeah. I, just, yeah. I don't think he just automatically snapped in that moment. He had, he still had to evolve into that. He still needed training. He still needed to become Batman. And Batman is, as Batman Begins is pointing out, at least if you favor that interpretation like we do, uh, it is still a theatrical side to Bruce. You know, I, I think yeah. the real Bruce is the third Bruce who talks to Alfred and tells him, you know, is vulnerable with him, but also tells him, you know, I need to stop this man and things like that. And that's mostly Bruce's real voice at that point. It's the it's the playboy facade of Bruce that's an act, and it's Batman kind of as an act, but at least it's an act, but of a mission that he still wants to do. Okay. So I subscribe, but to the three Bruce Waynes 
uh, type of idea as opposed to he's always Batman <laughs> and this, that's it. Um, yeah, that's true. That it's kind of gets an edge lord territory. It does, yeah. yeah. And again, I just feel psychologically this doesn't quite feel accurate or as relatable as it could be, especially if we're going he, by <laughs> Batman supposedly being the most relatable. I'm like, eh, I don't know about this. Yeah, then he's gonna be like Lego Batman, where he just sits around in his house wearing the Batman mask all the time <laughs> yeah. in a robe and almost forgets to take it off whenever he's supposed to be Bruce Wayne. Yeah. yeah. Then he really is Batman all the time. Which is fine when that's Lego Batman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, Lego ba- yeah it's supposed to be totally insane, right? It's fucking Legos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, let's see. We talked about Batman Forever. Uh, another notable thing about Batman Forever is that it's debatable whether or not this is a continuity issue because the Bachelors specifically wrote that they went to see a Zorro movie. Whereas, obviously, as we talked about, 89 implies that it's Footlight Frenzy. So, was Footlight Frenzy not the movie and it's just a poster out there or as we're finding now maybe they're just not in continuity with each other which is now what they're retconning this to be so the they're Schumacher probably verse, not really in continuity man they didn't really have that shit in mind all that much they didn't have that in mind i mean it was meant to be you know as yeah. we talked about it was meant yeah. to be a sequel but now i think it's it's easily retconned and i'd like to think the schumacher verse is basically kilmer's bruce and tommy lee jones is harvey dent in 89 <laughs> And going through the same yeah. exact events, and then same thing in Batman Returns. Do you, uh, it's just Schumacher's Gotham. Why the fuck are these nerds talking about be... cannons all the time? I don't know what the fucking cannon is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you think that that is supposed to be Jack Napier? If this is an alternate universe, in that flashback that Ooh. he has in Batman Forever. It could be just because I love the line when Dick's like, your parents were killed by a maniac. And Val's like, yes, they were. And you just automatically yeah. think about Jack Nicholson at that moment. Yep. And plus the the shadows, the lighting on the shooter, mm-hmm. Batman Forever is deliberately supposed to be the same as the Jack Napier stuff. So, um, yeah, there's that's even true. continuity issues. There's even continuity issues with the Wayne murder flashback because Schumacher doesn't do the pearls. He has roses. Mm, he has Martha yeah, drop roses. That's right. That's why when Chase accidentally drops the roses, Val has like a whole panic attack, which makes me wonder why the hell he lets Alfred just put roses everywhere. <laughs> yeah. like, Alfred, well, I told you just, not to put the roses there. That's just to set up Kiss from a Rose. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys know that song was already out? Did you, did you tell me this, Ben, back in the day? That song was already yeah, out, and then Schumacher just thing. liked it or something, and they put it mm-hmm. in. Then it became a hit. That's, yeah, Seal credits Schumacher for his career. And yeah. I think yeah. that was a great story. Yeah. It's kind of a shame we didn't learn mm-hmm. it until after he died, but it's still a great story. Yeah, it's great. So, yeah, there's the Roses thing. That's Batman Forever. Batman Begins. We talked about uh, where Bruce now has a different guilt because he feels responsible for making them leave the theater early. Uh, and then the next one is actually Batman the Brave and the Bold in 2008. Mm. Not with Chill of the Night, but a previous episode that also had Thomas Wayne. Though Thomas Wayne was not voiced by Adam West, but by Corey Burton, I believe. Uh, during Christmas, Thomas gives a nutcracker to Bruce due to it being a Wayne family tradition to pass on the nutcracker. And Bruce, being a spoiled little shit, is mad that he didn't get a swashbuckler action figure instead, so he breaks the nutcracker. <laughs> So his parents decide to make it up to him and take him to the movies. 
So oh, that's what lead them to go to the movies. That little and bitch. then Arkham Asylum. Yeah, I know. Yeah, spoiled kid move, but yeah, it's just kind of yeah. Uh, believable though. Yeah, is when that you're a rich th- kid who grows up with that? It makes sense. Is that the episode mm-hmm. with uh, the? Is it Christmas theme with that? Uh, what is it? Fun House is the bad guy. Yes, who's basically who's basically a toy toy man. man. Yeah, yeah, damn, it's bad that I remember that. <laughs> 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 oh man, it's an obscure uh, episode. So yeah, yeah. It's invasion. <laughs> invasion of the secret santas uh is That's that it. one and yeah the video game arkham asylum also indicates that uh bruce wanted them to watch the mark of zorro again afterwards so they saw the movie twice and that's why they left super late or later is because of the fact that bruce insisted on seeing the movie again so again all these different ways to make bruce feel guilty and it does make me ask a question for you guys do you think it really adds much to make bruce feel guilty about his parents' death, or do you think his parents dying is enough? Zach? Yeah, I do think it adds to it, absolutely, because that, mm-hmm. again, if you go back to, like, what we were talking about with Batman Forever and how the crux of that movie hinges on him being absolved of mm-hmm. that guilt, but still choosing that same path is really important. But yeah, I think just as a part of his character that guilt is always going to be a part of what created Batman. I mean, even in Batman Begins, he was talking to Ra's al Ghul saying, like, you know, I I couldn't do anything to stop it or, you know, I was helpless. So there's even that guilt from a a child's perspective. So, yeah, guilt is just like, you know, of course, we're I'm going to jump back to Spider-Man, but, I mean, guilt is like a huge catalyst, I think, for a lot of these heroes, and it, you know, helps shape them into the characters they become later. Mm-hmm. Andrew? Uh, I think it can help. Yeah, I don't... I mean, if they took it out entirely, I don't think it would hurt either. But yeah, if they have it, I think it kind of it kind of helps and it, it, it can establish drive for Batman. Of course, mm-hmm. he could have it any way I get it. It could just be just who he is no matter what. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it can explain some drive in like trying to uh what do you call it he's trying to be batman to forgive himself right oh yeah. atone for his sins or whatever because yeah. that was mm-hmm. my fault and I, I will do whatever it takes to not feel that guilty again via punching criminal crime in the face every night <laughs> oh his right. um yeah. his penitence he's he's trying to like yeah his yeah. penitence for his crime of of whatever he feels guilty for Right, which is why it's so significant in Batman Forever when Nicole Kidman is just like, what crime must he have paid to endure such, you know, to basically put himself through nightly torture? Like, that line is so significant in the original cut, but when we grew up with that, it was just like, oh, it's a nice little line for Nicole Kidman, and we just didn't realize that there was a payoff to that. Right. There was going to be an explanation to the reason why, the the guilt that drives him on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. I'm of two minds about it because on the one hand, I'm just like, do we really need a, an Uncle Ben Spider-Man type thing for this? Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. his parents are already dead, but then you're going to add this too. But I also think, I agree with Zach, that it adds to certain interpretations. Yeah. You know, so I don't really need it to be one where he destroyed a nutcracker and they decided, hey, let's take you to the movies. But I do like <laughs> the Batman Forever. Yeah, I do like the Batman Forever uh, cut subplot with that. I, I love that. Yeah, and that uh, one's done probably the best out of these, maybe. Yeah, 
there's that, and then there's also the guilt of of Bruce wanting to leave the theater early in Batman Begins, and how that connects to his fear of bats, and how you know he associates the fear of bats to his parents' death because of that, and mm. just that the way that Nolan streamlined that in Batman Begins is honestly one of my favorite parts of that movie that no one really talks mm-hmm. about. Like again, it's it's yeah. one of the best explanations for why they ended up in that alley. It's like, well, they wanted to leave early yeah. because of this. It sparked this trauma from earlier with the bats, and it, it just connects so many different things. It's 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 fantastically done, and, and so I'm just like, well, I can't really fault them for no, doing Nolan. This Nolan being the one giving the screen the script notes to Goyer, that's the team, man. That was the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I think it can it can work in certain interpretations and other versions where it's just kind of a flashback of just like, and he also made his his dad go to the movies too. I'm like, uh, I don't know if I knew And his that, dad but, smacked okay. him and he also gave him a nutcracker <laughs> and he also wanted to see the gay blade. It's like just combine them all together. And he wanted his mom to wear the pearls. That's <laughs> right, know. yeah. Let's Thomas and Martha are like, we are controlled by this child. We need to talk about this. <laughs> you got me thinking a little earlier, too, about how, you know, he's a kid that has everything. He's A, got money, but B, mm-hmm. his parents seemingly in what every interpretation, they're good people, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, his dad didn't even care about money and Batman Begins, you know, and like uh, they probably were raising Bruce well despite having all the money maybe they spoil him a little bit but he's more or less probably would be would have been normal you know not Mm -hmm. not a weird rich kid like a celebrity's (laughs) kid or something right but uh (laughs) so it's like yeah truly truly the kid that had everything yeah until he didn't Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah uh let's see Let's go a bit into something I mentioned in the main episode, but didn't really cover much because they didn't really talk about the killer, which is the origin of Crime Alley. Uh, so Crime Alley is not in the original version by Bill Finger. That's actually an invention by Dennis O'Neill in the 70s. In What's the name of this alley again? Why are we walking down it? <laughs> Crime just <Alley>. us? <laughs> People going to recognize it just gets papers? a bad rap. <laughs> yes, so writer Dennis O'Neill revisited the origin with art by Dick Giorgano and There's No Hope in Crime Alley. Detective Comics 457, and I believe the Crime Alley, um, Appointment in Crime Alley episode of BTAS is inspired by this. This is a great it title. Also has, I love that yeah. title. Um, so here's what's specified is that it was a street called Park Row, later renamed Crime Alley due to the you. murders that happened post the, uh, the Wayne death. So it was not called Crime Alley the oh, night yeah. that yeah, yeah. Uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne guided Bruce down that street. Mm-hmm. It became Crime Alley due to that murder. And Park Row's been a staple since then, because I think it's in the Arkham games. It is, and there yeah. is a... I gotta ask Rob what it's like, but there's a restaurant that opened called Park Row in London that is Batman-themed. What? I saw that, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude, I love the UK love for Batman, man. Yeah. Yeah, they, they're dressed like Alfred. They serve like stuff on the menu. Is Batman related? <laughs> there probably is. I bet I, so. <laughs> I mean, if they if they got Park Row as a name, they they must have Vichy Swap. <laughs> yeah, they got desserts that look like they're in the shape of Gotham City. Like I'm just like, okay, it might be worth going back to London for this, dude. If so. their menu says it's supposed to be cold and you know <laughs> under the yeah. uh, the description <laughs> for the uh, Vichy Swap, oh my god, are you kidding me? You will stand up. 
I will applause. I will stand up and applaud this restaurant. <laughs> the menu just uh, it's going to be nothing but applause the whole time. But do you want anything to eat, sir? Ben, ben you're no, brain will just clap. You'll be you're going to be seeing your Ben's going to Ben's going to uh, his eyes are going to be like the slot machine fucking uh, <laughs> going around. <laughs> I'll try to keep it under control. Too many Easter eggs. I can't take it. <laughs> we'll go. Yeah. We'll have Rob. We'll all go and have Rob take us, and I'll just. Keep my brain in my head. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's yeah. So as I said, O'Neill notes that Park Row was a good neighborhood, and it was after the murder of the Waynes that it became Crime Alley. Uh, so <laughs> O'Neill already accounted for the fact that people would make fun of the, <laughs> the idea of Thomas and Martha taking them down Crime Alley. It was not called Crime mm-hmm. Alley at that time. You're saying Denny O'Neill is a good man. Writer. Yeah, <laughs> very smart man. Uh, O'Neill also created in this issue. Uh, is the cre- the character of Dr. Leslie Tompkins, the first person to comfort Bruce at the crime scene, mm. and was revealed to be an elderly doctor in present day who would receive visits from Batman every year without knowing the true reason why he visited Crime Alley on the same night that the Waynes were killed. But I'm sure she has her own suspicions on that. Uh, Dr. Leslie Tompkins was shown as a kind, uh, grandmotherly figure, uh, and uh, she was cast as a um, hot lady in Gotham by Marina Baccarin. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to reveal that yeah. in the uh, in the main show when we were doing the visuals, but I was just like, eh, we don't need to talk about Leslie Tompkins in this, and we're talking about the killers. So uh, I reserved that part for this part. Uh, let's talk, though, about the other character who may have comforted Bruce after the deaths of the Waynes, and that's the person who investigated the murders. Now, I thought this was interesting because it's not always Gordon. Bullock? It's not all, well, Bullock. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's versions where Bullock comforts him, but there are versions where Bullock's a, an officer around the same time. But anyway, okay. Chief Let's O'Hara. Into it. Well, the first one. And Harry is. Gora, my son. <laughs> uh, uh, 1986's Steve Englehart treatment, which we went over. Uh, is probably the first to go over this with uh, the 50-year-old Inspector Gordon telling uh, Bruce and Alfred at the funeral that they're still looking for the killer. So not just the first instance of Bruce meeting Gordon right after the murders, but also the first instance of Gordon being shown to want to investigate the murders. And, of course, this idea would be incorporated into Sam Hamm's first draft for the Batman Mm -hmm. 89 movie with a shot uh, with a still used for the newspaper in the film that I pointed out in the video, video essay. But there are other versions of this story. Because uh, mind you, in the post-crisis world, in Batman Year One, 1987, Gordon comes from Chicago. He was not in Gotham. He was not a cop in Gotham in uh, post-crisis, so he could not have been the one during, you know, even being just an officer the night that the Waynes were killed in that continuity. So they created mm-hmm. a different character in 2002's Batman 603 in the storyline Batman Fugitive, written by Ed Brubaker, penciled by Sean Phillips, colored by Gregory Wright and Wildstorm Effects, and letters by John Costanza. And it reveals that the investigator was an African-American cop named Gary Sloan. Okay. And in present day, Sloan is dying, and Batman visits the dying Sloan. Uh, and, and Sloan is, you know, on his deathbed, but also revealing that he wants Batman's help to fulfill a promise that he was not able to fulfill, which is to find the killer of the Waynes. <laughs> All right, so that's all you get for this week. That was our episode released from the Patreon vault. We hope you enjoyed it. 
And if you want to hear the full episode, please go to patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And this, the rest of this episode and a bunch more is there. It's at the $5 tier. So please check that out and we hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you later. Thanks again. Bye. Listening to the Geekscape Network.